Did you ever meet a character? Well, you, you know them when you meet them, because right away they're sort of animated and, and they're, they're saying things that are kind of little on the edge. So I sat on a plane the other day and I met a character. He introduced himself right away and he introduced his wife Lorraine to me. I shook their hands and I introduced myself and we got to, to talking and he found out that I was a pastor and, and he told me that when he was growing up, he lived way out in the country. He goes, I live so far out in the country that my zip code should have been E-I-E-I-O. <laughs> and that's when I knew he was a character. And so he, he told me another story. He said, you know, I used to go to this little church out there in the country, and it was kind of a non-denominational church. He goes, I got saved eight times, eight times. So uh, he just was going on and on, and so he got me going, and, and, and I decided, I, I, I said, I'll tell you my favorite joke, and I told him my favorite joke, and he started laughing and laughing. He goes, I'll tell you a joke. He told me a joke, and his wife Lorraine said, that's not funny. Uh, so she was a little bit of a character, too. But you know a character when you meet him. But what, what I keep going back to is I got saved eight times. Uh, you really only need to get saved once. But after you get saved once, you have to become a survivor. And you don't know exactly at what point you're going to have to become a survivor. But you will have to be engaged with life in such a way that that wisdom prevails in your life, that you learn how to navigate the twists and the turns and the ups and the downs. Because one thing that life is going to do is it's going to test your faith and your faithfulness and your walk with God. And when you get saved, you don't get all that automatically. That comes in the process. That's why Paul wrote, work out your salvation with what? Fear and trembling. So let me go to Ecclesiastes chapter 7 this morning and teach you, allow me the, the humble privilege to teach you what survivors do. Wisdom finds a way. Wisdom makes a way. Wisdom is the way. Wisdom is God's way. Ecclesiastes 7. Do not say... Why were the old days better than these? Interesting start here by King Solomon. They would say those things back then too, thousands of years ago. Well, remember, in the old days it was so much better. Do not say, why were the old days better than these? For it is not wise to ask such questions. Why not? Because you're living right now. You need to learn what survivors do right now. Wisdom like an inheritance, is a good thing and benefits those who see the sun. Wisdom is a shelter as money is a shelter. But the advantage of knowledge is this. Wisdom preserves those who have it. Let's just stop right there. It's a, it's a great juxtaposition there. It's a great polarization there. Solomon talks about wisdom preserving us. He says wisdom's a shelter, money's a shelter, but there's a difference. Wisdom's going to get you through life. You can have money, and money does great things. You can do great things with money, but you all know stories of how money has limitations, and how sometimes money brings people down, and how money sometimes can become a dead end, even if there's a lot 
of it. Stories like that abound. But wisdom preserves those who have it. That's why wisdom finds a way. Wisdom makes a way. Wisdom is the way. Wisdom is, is God's way. And that's his, his driving force, especially here in this seventh chapter of Ecclesiastes. Consider what God has done. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? It says it this way in the message. Take a good look at God's work. Who could simplify and reduce creation's curves and angles to a plain, straight line? You can imagine a king looking out at the night sky and being in wonder of everything that God has created and, and realizing that there's no way to figure it out. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? Take a good look at God's work. Who could simplify and reduce creation's curves and angles to a plain, straight line? When times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. Things going well right now? Be happy and just enjoy those moments of great happiness. But when times are bad, remember that it's all, it's all part of your life. The ups and downs and the in-betweens, they're all part of life. Therefore, no one can discover anything about their future. Only God sees the future. Only God knows what's coming tomorrow and the next day and the next year. In this meaningless life of mine, I have seen both of these. The righteous perishing in their righteousness and the wicked living long in their wickedness. Solomon says, I look out there, I see good people and, and they pass away. I see people doing bad things and it seems like they're getting away with it. Do not be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? Do not be over-wicked and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? It is good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. Whoever fears God will avoid all extremes. So Solomon gives us a little lesson here on balance. It's, it's good to want to try to be good. It's good to want to try to, to do the things God wants us to do. We want to bring faith and life together. But if that's all you do all the time, what happens is you can be overly good and just always checking the boxes and always thinking it's got to be this way. And who did Jesus save his, his greatest words of angst for? It was people like that. You look on the outside like you have got it all together, but you've not taking the time to take care of the things that need to be straightened out on the inside. So Solomon knew this thousands of years before. Do not be over-righteous. Neither be over-wise. It could lead you to destruction. It could lead you to living only an external facade of what it means to know God instead of letting God transform you from the inside. Whoever fears God will avoid all extremes. Wisdom makes one person, makes one wise person more powerful than 10 rulers in a city. He says, look at the political landscape. 
See, see all those kings, see all those reigning monarchs and, and see all those, those princes and, and see all those people who have, who have jobs with, with the government and they, they make decisions all the time. Wisdom makes one wise person more powerful than all of that. He says, you don't need more, more governance. You need more wisdom in governance. That's what changes everything. That's what turns the tide. It's always about wisdom finding a way, wisdom making a way, wisdom being the way, wisdom being God's way. Indeed, there is no one on earth who is righteous, no one who does what is right and never sins. And thousands of years later, the Apostle Paul would write that out. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're not going to get there. We can strive to get there, but we have to live in a humility of our fallibility. Indeed, there is no one on earth who is righteous the way God is, no one who does what is right and never sins. Only, only God can show us what that kind of life looks like, and he ultimately showed us what it looks like in Jesus Christ. Do not pay attention to every word people say, or you may hear your servant cursing you. For you know in your heart that many times you yourselves have cursed others. This sounds like breaking news. This sounds like what we hear about all the time as we watch breaking news on TV, as we listen to breaking news. Who's saying what about who? Who's saying this about that? And the, and the message, it says it this way. Don't eavesdrop on the conversation of others. What if the gossip's about you and you'd rather not hear it? You've done that a few times, haven't you? Said things behind someone's back you wouldn't say to his face. Solomon pulls no punches. Solomon tells it like it is. And then I'll give you this summation in verses 23 to 24. I'll end there. All this I tested by wisdom and I said, I am determined to be wise. I want to know. I want to be the wise person. But this was beyond me. I couldn't get there. Whatever exists is far off and most profound. And who can discover it? Who can discover it? In the message it says, does anyone ever find it? Does anyone ever find out what is really going on? Let me talk to you about what survivors do. Men and women who begin to understand and live by peeling back the, the layers of, of wisdom. There are four themes woven into the fabric of your life. There's a theme of needing to see each day as a gift. What will this day mean to me? What's in this day that's a gift to use and grow with and do something with? Is there an insight? Is there an opportunity for me to seize? Or is there a moment that will seize your heart? The first theme is the theme of needing to see each day as a gift. That, that merge event yesterday was a gift. You could show up and, and take a test and discover your spiritual giftedness. Somebody said, do you want to take the test 
I said, it's too late. It's too late. It's, it's too much time you know, now. I kind of know what I can do and I kind of know what I can't do. But it's good to have the gift of taking a test that shows you what you can do. It's good to have a day that stretches you to think about where you fit in to ministry and mission. There were people sitting together. There were people talking. There were people engaging and figuring out what can I merge with? What is God doing and how can I merge with that? The theme of needing to see each day as a gift. Is there a moment that will seize your heart? Martin Luther put it this way, faith is permitting ourselves to be seized by the things we do not see. Secondly, there's a theme of needing to know if God is there for you. Having a personal relationship with God is the essence and the beginning of really living. You don't have to get saved eight times, but you have to get saved once to begin that personal relationship with God. And this is what happened 500 years ago. What Martin Luther did in 1517 was magnificent because he was reading scripture and in the midst of a world where it seemed like the church wanted to control things and the church wanted to be in charge of people's lives, Martin Luther said, that's not really what it says in the Bible. And I'm going to write 95 statements about this since called and referred to as the 95 Theses. I'm going to post these on the door of the church at Wittenberg in Germany. And I'm going to say, if anybody wants to talk about this, I'm willing to talk about it. I think what's happening is not right about controlling people's lives. I really believe people are free because of what Christ has done. And this was the very first thesis of his 95 Theses. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, and he refers to Matthew 4.17, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. Matthew 4.17 says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach Repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And I've often told you about this word repent because it's, it's arguably one of my top ten favorite words in scripture because it's really two words that they put together in that time. One of those words was the word mind and the other word was the word change. And so when Jesus said repent, he really was saying it's time to change your mind. It's time to change the way you're thinking about everything because God is here with you right now. I'm here with you right now. I'm here to tell you the reality of what life is truly all about. And when Martin Luther realized this, he realized that, that people who choose to know him receive the free gift of eternal life through him and that changes everything. This happened 500 years ago. And this, this past Tuesday was the 500th anniversary of Martin, Luther's five, of Martin Luther's 95 theses. And it was celebrated in churches locally here in Virginia Beach. It was celebrated all over the world. And I had the opportunity to be in Hamburg, Germany on Tuesday to celebrate it, to be part of a celebration of Martin Luther's 500th anniversary at a church called St. Peter's 
church. And on the outside of the church, they actually hung the 95 Theses right under a big poster that was inviting everybody to a service on Tuesday morning, which, which I was able to go to. And it was fascinating to sing A Mighty Fortress is Our God and to hear everything was in German, but I felt just drawn in in a very powerful way because he changed everything because you know, they had his picture there as, as part of the whole thing. Here's a guy who 500 years ago did something and challenged the entire system and shifted it, and they still celebrate him today. The whole country shuts down. All the stores shut down to remember this, this man. There's this theme of needing to know if God is there for you. Having a personal relationship with God is the essence and the beginning of really living. The third theme, there's a theme of heart to heart connection, real friendships, real relationships, really understanding what it means to live in love and grace and deep understanding relationally. And you don't get that when you're saved. You can be saved eight times, 10 times, 18 times. You still don't get it because you have to learn it and you have to figure it out. That's why I do a relationship series every January and every February. And when I was in Denmark, when I was in Germany last week, I talked to people who were struggling through relational issues in the church. I talked to people who were struggling through relational issues in business because that's what happens with us. We struggle through relational issues and we have to learn what what it means and how to figure it out. How does forgiveness really work? Are there different aspects of forgiveness? What do you do when you get into a really difficult moment, a conflict with somebody? How do, you, how do you work yourself through that with the person and come out on the other side with your integrity intact and, and with some grace that's been applied? All these things, this is the, the relational glue of our lives. And so there's this theme of heart-to-heart connection. How do you get a real friendship? What's that look like? How do you enter a real relationship? How does that function? Really understanding what it means to live in love and grace and deep understanding relationally is always a theme. It's a big theme in all of our lives. And finally, there is a theme of knowing a mission worthy of sacrifice, worthy of your sacrifice, something you become passionate about giving yourself to. And this theme comes in two forms. There's the macro form of this theme, the, the overarching, huge, humongous form of this theme where you realize that God has done something magnificent and you want to be a part of that. Whatever it is that God is doing and, and whoever God is and calling you into, that's the macro aspect of this sacrifice, giving yourself to that. Then there are many micro aspects of this sacrifice. You give yourself to your family. You give yourself to your job. You give yourself to a ministry. You give yourself to to something that makes a change in society. And it can be in just a small way. It can be as simple as looking into the eyes of a child and saying to that child, God loves you and I love you and you're going to be Okay. If you misunderstand the first theme, seeing each day as a gift, you will think life owes you more stuff all the time. If you misunderstand the second theme, knowing God deeply, you will think God must not let anything bad happen to you ever. And we just heard a story this morning that shows you that that's not true. 
If you misunderstand the third theme, heart-to-heart connection, you will demand someone fills your emptiness and you will make them a prisoner of your loneliness or of your hurts. If you misunderstand the fourth theme, having a mission worthy of sacrifice, you will think personal security is optimal and sacrifice is optional. So the challenge of being a survivor is to have the wisdom to know these four themes and how they work all the time in and through your life. Faith is permitting ourselves to be seized by the things we do not see. Survivors are seized by things they do not see until they see them in the stark reality of God's purposes. Let me tell you what survivors do. Survivors are seized by wisdom. Verse 19, wisdom makes one wise person more powerful than 10 rulers in a city. You see, you can have a job, or you, have a, you can have a position, you can have a set of responsibilities, but without having real wisdom, you are empty, and your life starts to get real wobbly. I remember this happening to me when I was a young father. Our daughter Ashley was about a year and a half old, and, um, you know, and I'm trying to be dad, and my wife's observing this, and, and you know, I'm operating out of a set of, of fatherly principles that I just sort of gathered along the way in my life. There was no strategy for it. It was just, well, this is how I grew up, and I guess this is how it works. Well, my wife was very wise, and she was watching this, so one day she... She hands me a book, and she says, you might want to read this. And I looked at the title. It said, How to Really Love Your Child. I thought, okay, let me read this book. And what was in the book was not profound, but was, what was in the book wasn't part of my mental grid for how to parent my daughter. And it simply said, make eye contact. Give focused attention, use meaningful touch. Touch that lets a child know you're there and that they're loved and, and cared for. And I began to take those, those simple three principles into the experience of being a parent, and it profoundly changed me. It profoundly changed everything about who I was because somebody introduced wisdom into my Life. Survivors are seized by wisdom. Survivors are hungry for wisdom. Survivors are always searching for wisdom. Where do you need wisdom right now in something that you're facing in your life? Do you need it as a parent? Do you need it in, in your business? Do you need it somewhere in a ministry or in a mission? Sometimes you need to sit down and slow down and call a time out and say, let's just talk about what wisdom might do if we apply it. We stop doing things this way. Maybe we start doing things this way. Secondly, survivors are seized by serendipity. Serendipity is is things just kind of come together. Verse 14, when times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. 
You don't know how things are coming together. You can only sit back sometimes and, and watch how, how God brings all things together for his purposes. I remember when we, when we first started the church, we were just looking for how in the world is this coming together. We went to the art center down on 22nd Street. We said, we'd like to have a, a church here. We don't have any money, but we'd like to have a church here. And, and the woman uh, who came out of a, a German Lutheran tradition said, yeah, I think we can, think we can do this. And we signed a contract with no money and things started to come together. And, and the right people started to show up and, and pretty soon everything was, was happening every Sunday. It was just one service back then, but people were coming and kids were being cared for and, and our, our student ministry program started. And uh, as a matter of fact, the guy who started our student ministry program was just teaching a class in, in faith and life electives upstairs just a, an hour ago. And so you know, serendipity brings things together that you can't control, but you know God is in those moments. Sur survivors are, are seized by serendipity. They're expecting that God will show up and do the things that need to get done. Survivors are seized by discomfort. One writer put it this way, discomfort is their comfort zone. It's really something when discomfort becomes your comfort zone. Verse 10 says, do not say, why were the old days better than these? For it is not wise to ask such questions. You know, when people say that, they're looking for comfort. They're looking for, you know, a time that really didn't exist, but they, they kind of make it a Disneyland in their own mind. Brene Brown once said, you can have comfort or you can be brave, but you can't have both. Survivors are seized by discomfort. Discomfort is their comfort zone. A couple years ago, actually 12 years ago, we went to Denmark for the very first time as a church because we were requested by Willow Creek Community Church to support the mission of the Global Leadership Summit in Denmark. At that time, that was going to be the first Global Leadership Summit in the country of Denmark. It was going to be one of only a few Global Leadership Summit sites in the world. Today, there are hundreds and hundreds of sites, but 12 years ago, there really weren't that many. And I didn't know how it was going to work, and I didn't really even know what we were supposed to do, but we went because there was a discomfort that was very comfortable. And so we went and we learned what we had to do, and people would say to me, we would take teams, and, and people would say to me, what are we going to do when we get there? And I would say, whatever they need us to do. And we had CEOs taking out trash. We had PhDs moving chairs. And we had business owners uh, filling up coffee pots and, and helping people you know, get their lunch and cheering people when they came out of sessions. And it was transformational. And today, 12 years later, they have a great leadership summit there. And I was able to stand on the stage in Copenhagen last week. I was able to say, we have done our, our, our work and you know, we will not be back. You have done a great job. We have encouraged you along the way. Excellent job, great job. 
And I believe God is going to call us to another place. Oh, they had holy coffee there, by the way. And I believe God is going to call us to another place where discomfort can be our comfort zone. They have really nice dogs over there. Uh, where discomfort can be our, our comfort zone because God is always doing something in, a, in an uncomfortable way that's going to lead towards something that he wants done in the world. And survivors are seized by it. So, so I'm looking for another opportunity for us where we can go in the world and wrap our arms around a group of people, wrap our arms around a nation that wants to bring Christ, that wants to bring leadership into their churches. And they're just at the very beginning of it, the way Denmark was there 12 years ago. So we will go and we won't say, why were the old days better than these? It's not wise to ask such questions. In an article called How to Be a CEO from a Decade's Worth of Them, Adam Bryant quotes a CEO who said it this way, usually I really like whatever the problem is. I like to get close to the fire. So come with me to where the problem is. Come with me and get close to the fire and see what God will do using your life to change the world. Finally, survivors, I'm going to put three together here. Survivors are seized by Holy Spirit whispers. Survivors are seized by redemption. Survivors are seized by the one thing that levels the playing field for every human being. One thing levels the playing field for every human being on the planet. Eternity. Verse 24, whatever exists is far off and most profound. Who can discover it. At the end of the day, if you're a survivor, you want to know the voice of the Holy Spirit asking you to do this thing, asking you to to go this extra mile, asking you to invest in this ministry, in this mission, asking you to think of yourself as a very strategic person in the economy of God, remembering that the Holy Spirit is also going to tell you how much God loves you and how much God cares for you, even though you're going sometimes through some dark valleys and valleys of questions in your life. Survivors are seized by redemption. We're seized by the fact of what Jesus Christ did as he went to the cross, as he gave his life for us, something we'll remember in communion right after the service this morning. We're seized by the love of God in Christ that he would give himself in that way for us so that we could live with him forever. And we're seized by this understanding that eternity levels everything. It levels the playing field for all people, of all races, of all social classes. On Tuesday afternoon, I was wandering around the city of Hamburg. I had already had a hamburger, because I wanted to say I ate a hamburger in Hamburg. Now I'm wandering around, and somebody had told me there's a a memorial of a church from World War II where they left it, they left it bombed out the way it was in 1943, and wandering around, I saw this steeple that was magnificent. It was standing there, it was like looking up it was the biggest steeple I ever saw in my life. Let's just put it that way. I felt like I was looking up at the Empire State Building. Take, take, five, take five spring branches, six, seven, eight spring branches, pile them on top of one another, and they might, 
they might reach the pinnacle of that steeple. And that's all, there was the steeple, there was the, the, the bells, uh, and so the bell tower, the steeple, and that was it. Everything else was bombed out. And so you walked across where the church once was, but it wasn't there in 1943. It was gone. It was gone. But far on the other side, something caught my eye. It was a stone plaque. I, I looked at it. I walked over, and there's a cross in the middle. And then to the right, there was an inscription. And that inscription had at the bottom 1 Thessalonians 4.17. I said, ah, I will look, I will look this up. I'm going to read it to you. I'm going to read it to you in the full context of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting with 13 and going to 18. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Here's verse 17. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. It ends, verse 18 there, my ending. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Survivors are seized by the one thing that levels the playing field for all humanity eternity. And you don't have to be saved eight times to get there. It's just one time. But after that one time, you have to figure out how to be a survivor. You have to understand what wisdom is doing in your life. You have to understand how the themes are being woven together and, and transforming your life. If you misunderstand that each day is a gift, you will think life owes you more stuff. If you misunderstand that you have to know God deeply, you will think God must not let anything bad happen to you ever, and that is not possible. If you misunderstand the third theme, heart-to-heart -heart connection, you will demand someone fills your emptiness, and you will make them a prisoner of your loneliness or deep emotional wounds. And if you misunderstand the fourth theme, having a mission worthy of sacrifice, you will think personal security is optimal and sacrifice is optional. My friends, wisdom finds a way. Wisdom makes a way. Wisdom is the way. Wisdom is God's way. Survivors are always seized by wisdom. Dear Heavenly Father, guide us into keeping our lives balanced and in order. Heavenly Father, guide us into the humble realization that without you, we just don't get there. Father, guide us to know that together you have, you have knit us at the heart level to be your church. You've given us 
opportunities so that opportunities will seize us and the world will be changed in some ways because we were here and we gave ourselves to you. Dear Heavenly Father, allow us, allow us the gift of this day and seize us in this gift. In Jesus' name, amen.